Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. Man, I've missed that children's liturgy of the word train. That is the cutest thing that happens in this church, hands down, far and away. Cuter than Deacon Rich, for sure. That is, that is, I have missed that children's liturgy of the word. Okay, I want to get into it. We got a lot to talk about this morning on this 23rd Sunday here in Ordinary Time. I want to just first jump into this first reading we have from the prophet Ezekiel. But first, a little context on who Ezekiel was. Ezekiel, he was called by God to prophesy right on the verge, right on the edge of the destruction of Jerusalem. You've got King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Again, if there's anybody pregnant today, I think Nebuchadnezzar, there's not enough of them walking around today. So I think that's a fun name. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is on the march to Jerusalem, coming to invade What Israel began to see eventually as a result of all of this was God was using foreign nations to bring chastisement upon Israel. That because of their infidelity, because of their sinfulness, because of their abandonment of the covenant, God was allowing these foreign nations to overrun them. Right? You can't read the Old Testament and miss this, that God does in fact not just chastise individuals, but he does bring chastisement upon peoples, upon nations. It's very important for us to remember. So Nebuchadnezzar coming to Jerusalem, he's coming to Israel, and he's going to be destroying it, laying it totally waste. Worst of all, this is the destruction of the temple that is coming. The temple, of course, is the center of Israelite life and worship, culture and identity. It's going to be raised to the ground. So Ezekiel, he has this task from God to be prophesying to the priests, to the religious authorities, to the secular authorities at the time, telling them to convert, to accept essentially that this is coming. This is a tough task, to put it bluntly. This is a tough task that God is basically saying to you, to him, I am sending you to a rebellious house, and they're not going to listen to you. You're going to be ignored, and you're going to be maligned. They're going to nickname you terror on every side. Because that's what he was saying. That there will be terror on every side. That was the name they gave Ezekiel. So God calls him, nevertheless, to be a watchman, is what we hear in that first reading. Other translations will say sentinel, a sentinel. The imagery here, of course, is just, it's clearly militaristic. It's, it's the imagery of somebody standing atop a high wall, the city wall, gazing out into the distance, over the plateau, to hold vigil to be watching for the the coming of an invading army and your job as sentinel as watchman is if you see an advancing army coming you have to warn them you have to sound the alarm and if you don't do that negligent are you in your duties you have let destruction befall your people friends there is something so apropos there is something so timely for us with this reading here on this 23rd sunday in ordinary time, because there is something gravely evil marching upon us in this state with this proposed Issue 1 amendment to our Ohio Constitution that we'll be voting on this coming November, November 7th. Before I get into it, though, before I unpack, before I talk about it any further, talking about this abortion amendment, what occurred to me earlier in the week when I was praying through this was that so often people seem to People can't seem to hear what we say. 
in the church oftentimes because of how we say it. I think people often struggle to hear what we say because of how we say it, the tone or the delivery. I mean, parents, you, you get this, right? It's so important to, to not only craft the words, but the words in the right tone. I'm thinking of, um, you know, when I was little, my parents being, you know, saying to me, say sorry to your brother, right? And it's, sorry. And you're like, right words, wrong tone, right? The tone has to go with the words, right? Right words, wrong melody. We need both to go together. And look, there's, there's a lot of reasons why there are many outside the church who, who struggle to hear what we say, and a lot of those reasons have to do with things that we've done and how we've said things, but there's also reasons why that, that we're not responsible for. But I want to start here this morning by reflecting on the tone of the church who speaks with the heart of a mother from the heart of the father to her sons and daughters, right? Especially when she speaks to women who have had abortions themselves. And if the statistics hold true, I don't want to be naive. I mean, if the statistics hold true, maybe that's some of us here this morning. So this is, this is how the church speaks. It's always a tone of mercy. Like the message is this, it's my dear sisters. Like if you have had an abortion, you are not the enemy. You are not hated, you are not condemned, you are not reviled, you're not rejected, that you are precious. You are precious to us, precious to the Father. This, this, is, this is how Pope John Paul II put it. I think it was in his encyclical letter, Evangelium Vitae, but he writes, he speaks directly to women who've had abortions. He said this, again, listen to the tone. This is the tone. The church is aware of the many factors which may have influenced your decision, my dear sisters. And she does not doubt that in many cases it was a painful and even shattering decision. The wound in your heart may not yet have healed. Certainly what happened was and remains terribly wrong. But do not give in to discouragement and do not lose hope. Try rather to understand what happened and face it honestly. If you have not already done so, Give yourselves over with humility and trust to repentance. The Father of mercies is ready to give you his forgiveness and his peace in the sacrament of reconciliation. And to the same Father and his mercy, you can with sure hope entrust even your child. Like when the, when the Father speaks to humanity, when the church speaks to humanity, We don't have this naive notion that we're speaking to this already perfected group of people. We are speaking into a fallen world, broken, wounded hearts, that the tone that the Father speaks, the tone, the authentic tone of the church, when she speaks to sinful humanity, is always always the tone of mercy. It's a tone of mercy. There's always hope, the church is saying. No one is excluded. No one is canceled. Right? We, yes, there's cancel culture in our culture. We in the church do not cancel people. Jesus on the cross, Paul said, canceled our sins. He canceled our debt. Sins are canceled. Persons are loved. Persons are always held out to this incredible hope. Like the church speaks, and the church has always spoken so strongly and firmly on the issues of life and marriage and sexual morality, all of these things, because the church believes herself to be the guardian of humanity, 
the guardian of the goodness of humanity, that she has been entrusted with the vision of our flourishing, that we're not merely dust destined for the grave. We are dust destined for divinization. The church holds out this vision because she believes in the sanctity of life. That we're the world's last hopeless romantics that believe people can fall in love and stay in love. That we believe in monogamous marriage. We believe that people can stay faithful to their vows. We believe that every child has a right to be conceived within the loving embrace of mother and father. And every child has a right to be welcomed into the world by his or her own mom and dad. We believe that the family is God's greatest masterpiece on earth. It is a little microcosm of the Trinity. That it is this extraordinarily ordinary school of love. The church believes that there's two genders because we have eyes in our head. <laughs> Not just because we've read Genesis 1 and 2, but because we hold out the importance of faith and reason religion and science, all of these things together, right? And the church and her shepherds, her priests, her bishops, her deacons, the church and her shepherds has always been called upon in every age of humanity to be those watchmen on the walls of the world, to guard humanity and to warn us when things horrendous are coming. And right now we see in the not-too-distant future something that has to be stopped, that in the coming weeks and months leading up to this November 7th election, the gender ideologues and the abortion advocates and the, the huge lobbyist groups, they are going to be funneling upwards of 50 plus million dollars into advertising campaigns directly aimed at converting the minds and winning over the hearts and votes of Ohio voters. They are after Ohio because they know that if you get Ohio, so goes the rest of the country. It's not an accident, I don't think, that our state is in the shape of a heart. Went over the heart of Ohio, went over the country. So here's what I want to do this morning. For those of you keeping score at home, I, I want to simply, I want to spell out what the proposed amendment wants to do. I want to explain why no Catholic in good conscience can vote for this, and I want to offer three things that I'm going to ask you to do. So, let's talk about this proposed amendment. The way that it's written, if you look at the legalese, the way that it's written, it's written in a deliberately ambiguous way in places. Why? To allow for very dramatic interpretations and applications of the law if it were passed. So, looking at issue one, what would it do? Firstly this, that it would put women at even greater risk. Like currently right now in Ohio, Ohio law requires abortion providers to explain, to explain in detail the procedure risks and to ensure access to hospital transfer if it were needed in an emergency situation in an abortion procedure if the woman's uterus was perforated and she's hemorrhaging. Do you have quick access, transfer access to a hospital? These health and safety standards could be seen and will be seen, let's just be honest, as burdensome, right? That's how it's written into the law. And because it's going to be seen as burdensome, it could be and likely will be eliminated, making it even less safe for women seeking abortions. Now, of course, we don't want right? Safe, legal, and rare. That's not the ultimate goal. Obviously, abortion is never safe, and we're not lobbying for that concession of safety, but it is important, right? 
Because it's they'd be like insisting that you know we have laws in place that ensure that gas stations no longer have glass walls or doors because sometimes in the course of a gas station robbery, the robber slams through the glass and cuts himself. It's unsafe, you know, to rob gas stations sometimes. That's not what we're talking about. Abortion is never safe in this sense because it's the only medical procedure whose successful outcome is the death of a person. That's how you know an abortion has been successfully procured when one heartbeat stops. And something that never comes up in this question of regarding women's safety and women's rights is this, that where and when do women's rights begin? If women do have rights, which we believe they do, when does that being, that creature called a woman, when does a woman begin to be? If not in the womb, if not at conception. And so many of these victims of abortion are themselves unborn females. Who is standing up for their voice? So furthermore, issue one would also allow abortions through all nine months of pregnancy. We're talking about fully formed, full-term, 40-week babies in the womb will be killed. You can hear the squawking and screaming. We've got some newborns in church today. That's who we're talking about. That's who will be eliminated. And why is that? Because in U.S. law, if you want to see the reference, look up the, the court case Doe versus Bolton. The term health, as it's used in this proposed amendment, it includes this. It includes the following. Age or physical, emotional, or psychological well-being. So what does that mean? It means this, that a woman's age or her mental health or emotional health, it could be cited to justifying a late-term abortion of a nine-month-old baby in the womb, that the abortion-providing physician, he could just decide when a baby could survive outside the womb and just leaving no protection for the unborn. Finally this, that if we don't vote this down, then issue one, it will threaten and effectively strip parental rights from moms and dads. There is in the proposed amendment this intentionally ambiguous language. They use, they don't use the phrase, they don't, they, don't, they don't use the precise term woman or adult or man or 18 years old and older. They use the phrase individual, which could be interpreted very broadly to include minors. So what does this mean? It means that individuals' reproductive rights have to be guaranteed Meaning that your 15-year-old daughter, your 15-year-old granddaughter, without parental consent, could then go to the Planned Parenthood down the street and procure for herself an abortion. Or she could even, for her own reproductive rights, get a double mastectomy without parental consent. Or receive life-altering, sterilizing drugs without parental consent. And this also paves the way for what we're seeing in other countries like Canada right now. Parents being arrested for not using the preferred pronouns of their sons and daughters or for standing in the way of their desired medical procedures. This is happening. And that's what this paves the way for. So, what are the three things I'm asking you to do? Number one is this. And I never do this. And I never do this, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to ask you to share this homily that's being recorded right now, not for my self-aggrandizement, but so that people can hear this. 
It will be available on our YouTube channel. It will be available on our parish website. Share this homily with everybody you know, especially Ohio voters, especially people who are unclear about what they're voting for in this regard. On our parish website, we're going to have links to PDF documents that spell out the kind of legalese of what the proposed amendment is saying and what it actually means. So that'll all be available for you on our parish website. Be looking for that in the next few days. Second thing is this. I'm going to ask you to consider making a financial donation, a contribution to protectwomenohio.org. Protectwomenohio.org. First of all, why this organization? Why them? Because Protect Women Ohio is a coalition of concerned family life experts, religious leaders from Ohio who are focused on ensuring that radical out-of-state advocates aren't able to push through the most extreme abortion laws in our state. So this organization is on the front lines of combating the massive advertising campaign that's pushing this forward. Right? Like I said, over $50 million is being funneled in from these advocacy groups to confuse and claim the minds of voters. Respect Women Ohio is pushing back against that. Social media campaigns, commercials, yard signs, these sorts of things, they're on the front lines of that. And I think, like, where can I help push back? This is a place. So respectwomenohio.org. Finally this. I'm going to ask you to pray and fast even harder for this. This is not last because it's an afterthought. It's not as though I just need you to do first all these practical things and when you've done those, now, you know, throw the quarter over your shoulder for the prayerful wishing well. No. This is last because it's most important. To pray and fast because prayer moves mountains. Prayer melts hearts. Prayer converts minds. Jesus says there are some demons that cannot be driven out apart from prayer and fasting. Pick something that you will fast from at least once a week. Attach a memorari, attach a decade of the rosary, attach some prayer to it, the St. Michael prayer, something. Jesus, this is specifically for the voting down of this proposed amendment. I offer this to you. All the saints in the tradition talk about the importance of prayer and fasting coming together. It's like one without the other is like trying to box with one hand tied behind your back. We need both of these. Those are the three practical things I'm asking you to do. To share this homily, to consider a donation, and to pray and fast intensely. I'm going to end with this. These words from Joseph Cardinal Maginsi on motherhood. The most important person on earth is a mother. She cannot claim the honor of having built Notre Dame Cathedral, but she need not. She has built something more magnificent than any cathedral, a dwelling for an immortal soul, the tiny perfection of her baby's body. The angels have not been blessed with such a grace. They cannot share in God's creative miracle to bring new saints to heaven. Only a human mother can. Mothers are closer to God than mothers are closer to God the creator than any other creature. God joins forces with mothers in performing this act of creation. What on God's good earth is more glorious than this to be a mother? So friends, let us turn to Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and ask her to pray for us 
As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.